2018. Welcome to Jonathan Ramtran the podcast. Ah, uh, I don't know, man. I'm having like some kind of like emotional imbalance or something. The highs, the lows, the D's, the do's. Uh, so um, Sunday. I'm. This is Tuesday that I'm recording this here. Tuesday morning, June twelfth, twenty eighteen. Uh, Sunday, June. 10th, 2018, I did a gig, um, it was like an open mic, but I had a really great set, I felt good, I felt connected, felt good, and uh, you know, those are like the triumphs of a stand-up comedian, right, you hold those things on your shoulder to keep you fucking motivated, it's like that time you did good at that open mic at the back room of some dingy bar, and a couple people were laughing, and the jokes were turning, and you're standing up there, and you're standing up for yourself, and you're telling jokes, and everybody's clapping and applauding, and you feel alive, God, ah, I never felt so alive, Ah, and you're up there, and you're cracking jokes and funny, yeah, you felt like just exhilarating, right, and uh, you know, in actuality, I just made a couple people laugh, felt pretty good, <laughs> tried a couple new jokes, um, I had a couple new uh, pride, as it is pride month in, uh, I don't know if it's the world, but um, definitely in Toronto, Canada, it's pride month, so I had a couple new pride jokes that I tried out, were, which worked, and uh, felt good, so I was riding on that Clyde, cloud nine wave, and then, um, you know, here I am, two days later, uh, you know, yesterday was okay, I worked out, uh, I went to the park, I uh, did some administrative work for Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast, I uh, did some writing, blah, 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 but now I'm just kind of feeling that, uh, just, I don't know, like the low, you know, you, you get up high, you have a little bit of achievement, and then you... Then you get down low again, and it's not like I feel low about myself or I'm depressed or something, but I just uh, feeling a little bit lackluster, you know, not as uh, chippity do, you know. Uh, I, I should cut myself some slack. I, I work pretty hard, man. All my time really consists of is working on my performing. Well, first of all, maintaining my sobriety as I'm an alcoholic. Uh, so my time consists of like maintaining my sobriety, working on my performing, working as a temporary laborer, and um, working out my hobby, which is playing bass guitar. So like those are the things that preoccupy my time. And if I'm not doing those things, I just feel weird. <laughs> like I don't know what else to do with myself. Which is not entirely true. Like, you know, I, I'll, I'll entertain myself. I'll watch a movie. I, yesterday, I tried to watch a movie. I tried to watch uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I got literally 10 seconds into that movie, and I said, fuck it, and I turned it off. Like, the opening scene where it's like, Missouri, 1980. 
and there's like an open highway and like some young couple driving in a Corvette singing some fucking John Mellencamp tune or some loser fucking thing like that. I'm like, fuck this, and I just turned it off. Like I got like a short attention span and like temperamental. Like if something annoys me, like I don't even, you know, like it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I'm like, I'm not watching this fucking movie. 10 seconds into it, I'm like, I'm not watching this fucking shit. Turned it right off. I don't like when people try to like affect my mood, you know, like you could totally tell they're trying to get you feeling nostalgic. That's the new thing that they're putting in movies now. It's like they're really trying to get to people of my demographic, like um, like a millennial born in like the 80s, right? Everything is set in the 80s and God, I wish I can go back to the 80s. And it's like, I don't even remember the 80s. I was, I was six years old. I was four years old in the 80s. That's as old as I got in the 80s. I was four. And I know it's not all about me, but, like, uh, I just get temperamental, you know, like, when people try to get nostalgic and try to, like, reach out to my demographic and shit, it's like, uh, it gets me all temperamental and shit. So, um, I watched 10 seconds of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 yesterday. And like I said, I've just been working through some of these, um, you know... When, uh, just the highs and lows of being a performer, you know, you just want to perform all the time and be great all the time. And when you're not, sometimes you just get bored. I didn't do a show last night. Um, but I'm working on the podcast right now, so I should bust my spirit up. And, uh, it's not even my spirit. I just feel lackluster. I think maybe it's this tea. It's making me feel queasy. I just toss it out. I, um... I'm generally a coffee drinker, but I also drink tea. You know, I like herbal tea, green tea. Right now I'm drinking this fucking, uh, it's like a, what do you call that shit? Uh, What kind of tea is it? Earl Grey has that kind of earthy, fragrant kind of tone to it, right? But it's making my stomach feel kind of queasy because I didn't eat anything today because I'm intermittently fasting. I ate quite a bit last night, and well, not quite a bit, but I ate li- late last night, so I figured, you know, let it stretch out a little bit, let the body settle, then have another meal. So I'm feeling a little queasy because of this fucking Earl Grey tea, and uh, I don't know, it tastes like shit. Should I continue drinking this? I don't know. Maybe I should go get a coffee. <clears throat> Maybe that'll help the recording. I don't know. Anyways, that's it. that's kind of what's going on with me, just fighting through those... Um, Fighting through those emotions of, um, not emotions, but feeling, is this an emotion that I'm feeling right now? It's not really an emotion. It's just like a disposition, really. But, um, you know, I got a lot of good things coming forward today. I got this exciting new sobriety meeting that I'd like to go to. So I'm going to go do that later around 6 p.m. Gonna have a conversation with a friend on the, the old Facebook live or whatever, Facebook talk time or whatever it's called i'm gonna do that in a bit and uh yeah it's kind of like what my day's looking like bang this out of the way i enjoy doing the podcast but sometimes uh as you can tell it's like uh sometimes it's a work (laughs) which is why being a performer is actually you know not for the faint of heart it's a lot of work you know pulling myself up out of a funk trying to sound entertaining talk about shit Hey, what do you think about old Donald Trump? 
flying over to Singapore talking to fucking um, nuclear um, dictators and fucking murderers talking shit about his best friends, you know? Like, how can you treat Canada like this? He's put this trade tariff up in place about, um, you know, tariffs on the aluminum and steel industry in Canada. Hmm. What the fuck? Do you guys hear that? My fridge always makes all these sounds. Some ice must have just fell in the freezer. Thank God. I thought it was nuclear holocaust. Kim Jong-un, fat, bloated, fucking idiot. Anyway, um, they, um, they got to talking, uh, but uh, I digress. Let me talk about uh, the trade tariff momentarily first here, momentarily. Um, yeah, so like, yeah, Trump, he put all these tariffs on the Canadian steel and aluminum industry. So what that's doing, it's obviously fucking with people's livelihoods, Canadian dollars suffering because of it. And it's just like a... It's just like a riff that he's starting with, you know, a close ally, you know? We, we've always got along with the United States, right? Canada. And we're close allies. And it's like, you know, you're starting static. As James Brown would say, static. No, static. Static. No, static. Static. Don't start nothing. Won't be nothing. Starting shit. You don't start nothing, there won't be nothing. He's starting shit, right? So, um, and I look at it from his end, you know, like I read a transcript of something that he was asked after the, uh, during like the debriefing from the Singapore summit with uh, Kim Jong-un. Uh, a reporter asked him a question like, um, doesn't it seem as if like um, you're 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 kind of grooming uh, a fucking humans rights violator, fucking uh, murderer, nuclear dictator? Doesn't it seem like you're kind of grooming him while you're turning your back on? You're like uh, your close friends and allies. Like he's like your historic enemies are becoming your friends and your historic allies are becoming your enemies. The reporter said something along those lines and Donald Trump goes, um, well, um, actually, in all reality, uh, no, it's all just very friendly all around. And uh, no, no, I'm not doing that. It's all very friendly. And um, he also said about the trade tariff with Canada, I mean, maybe not in the same uh, debriefing, but he said something along the lines of, um, you know, uh, Canada is going to learn. You know, after Justin Trudeau's backhanded remarks, he doesn't know that there's 20 um, televisions on Air Force One. So yeah, I saw what you said there, Justin, that the U.S. is not going to slap around and push around Canada. No, I saw what you said there, Trudeau, and you're going to learn. Because Canada doesn't, uh, you know, take in any U.S. agriculture. And we're just trying to catch up a little bit. It's like, uh, well, what country really purchases others' agriculture? Like, if you're a country and you produce your own agriculture, wouldn't it make sense for you to use your own agriculture? Like, why would we outsource, like, oh, let me buy American milk and American beef and American eggs? Like, why would we? doesn't make any sense. Does any country do that? So it's like I'm trying to get into his mindset of like this 
why this trade tariff because it's like it's just starting shit with a close ally and um good like what what's wrong with having you know decent trade among you know your friends and allies right it's all a bunch of filibustering and porky pig it's like bullshit right so I don't really know what to make of that. Uh, at the moment, uh, you know, Prime Minister Trudeau and um, I guess really the whole political spectrum of uh, Canada is kind of behind Tr- Trudeau and kind of really stepping up to this Trump situation. Uh, I don't really know what to think of it other than it'll just get washed over, hopefully. It'll all get sorted out, you know, like... That's just what politics is. It's just a bunch of philandering, filibustering, like, it's easy to understand, yet the river runs so deep. Like, you read about it, it's like, okay, yeah, blah, 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 common sense, X, Y, Z, A, B, C, do this, do that, good outcome. But then there's all this, yes, that's all, folks, filibustering, back and forth, jargon, pedants, pundits. And, like, I don't know, how do you make heads or tails of it, right? And then the Singapore summit, um, you know, Donald Trump goes and meets with um, Kim Jong-un. And they uh, talk about nuclear disarmament. I feel like that's a good thing. Of course, there's always going to be criticism, but, I mean, hey, that's a good thing. There's talks. Um... They're trying to get a disarmament of North Korea. But then the issue still remains that um, they still will have these long-range missiles that can still do quite a bit of um, devastation. But, like, the smart thing is to really promote this denuclearization of the world, basically. It's in nobody's interest to blow up the world. We don't need nukes. So... um, Hey, I feel like that's a good thing. It's a step in the right direction anyway. I mean, 10 years ago, there was this major... I mean, I guess there's always been a threat of um, nuclear holocaust since the... uh, I guess since the invention of um, the atomic bomb. But um, there's always been, like, fear of nuclear holocaust. But, um, I mean, dating back 10 years, I can remember coming out of college and watching CNN. And it's like, Kim Jong-il... Um, threat for nuclear holocaust and fallout throughout the world. Like, it was like a big threat, and it scared me, I guess, right? Like, it was kind of alarming as a young person to, like, look on the news and be like, oh, shit, they're going to blow the world up tomorrow, right? Like, that's kind of what the sentiment was, right? It was kind of fucked. So, um, at least with this discussion, it's like, it's historical in the fact that what U.S. president has ever sat down with North Korea and had that kind of discussion and it's a de-escalating conversation so hey at least there's that you know so those are some of the things i've been seeing in the news lately and um aside from that what's going on in my world is yeah like i said a lot of good things the comedy shows have been coming out real good you know like i'm really starting to really enjoy the process of being a comic, right? Ten years into it. Coming up ten years as a stand-up comedian this December. And um, 
Yeah, starting to come into the... Because uh, I, I always felt... I guess you feel like a fraud. You always feel kind of like a fraud, like, because there's really no training wheels. It's just like, okay, well, I guess there is if you want to take, like, a... And it's a bit of an insult to call it training wheels, but, like, there is... There is, um, what can I say, guidance, if you want guidance in stand-up comedy. You could take a stand-up comedy course. You can go to a college for it. They have courses in college about it. You could take a course from some person or whatever. But, like, generally speaking, there's no, like, training wheels. You just kind of jump into it, you know? All right, walk up there and tell some jokes. Yay! Now you're a stand-up comedian. And, like, you have to kind of find your way through it. And you feel like a fraud for so long. And... Finally, I'm starting to feel like um, some, like, um, I'm feeling some craft to what I'm doing. And I'm feeling like, I always enjoyed performing. I always enjoyed performing. And I always sort of enjoyed writing, but I never really knew how to do it constructively and efficiently. Or with any sense of ownership. Or with any sense of um, progression. Like, to see the progression of a joke or to see, like, I, I, it was all just so kind of overwhelming survival tactic just get in there get it done like it never really felt like a a job or a craft it always just kind of felt in the air and easily to be dismantled to come unhinged and uh recently like i said i had a good show on sunday working towards uh, producing my own shows but like what as i as i've been preparing for my shows lately it's um like sitting down and writing it out and really thinking through my jokes, my setup, my punchline, my act outs. It's all becoming really, really um, well executed, I feel. A lot better. And uh, I'm really happy about that because, um, you know, uh, that confidence, that confidence in that, okay, yeah, I really am actually understanding what I'm doing and being able to convey it, that is only going to help me even more. And it's, it's feeling good, feeling really grateful for that. And a part of what I do for uh, my preparation as a comedian and as a podcaster is I, uh, I write. I go out and I write. I take time to go out and uh, sit around and look at people and uh, enjoy the weather and uh, just write. And... Um, I was out at Ryerson University in Toronto, Canada yesterday doing some writing, doing some joke writing and podcast, uh, what do you call it, uh, administrative work, like just thinking about how I, I might approach a certain episode or whatever. And um, yeah, I was sitting out there in the park. They have like this beautiful campus, right? I've worked on that campus before, man. Holy shit. Like I said, I'm a temporary laborer and I had a flashback. I was passing one of their um, uh, athletic facilities, right, on Ryerson campus, one of their athletic facilities. And I guess last year, last year, I had a job where they tore up the basketball court. How insane does that sound? They tore up the basketball court. They literally cut up all that hardwood flooring um, carve them into sections, different chunks of this hardwood flooring, hundreds of pieces of the... Each piece was like fucking 200 pounds each, right? Maybe not that. Each piece was about like 100 pounds. Heavy hardwood flooring 
we had to lug through a college campus up four flights of stairs out into a garbage bin and toss it over our heads into a garbage bin. That was fucking hefty work. I'm like, in the middle of my shift, I'm like, hey, hold on, I think I might go and roll in college, right? Like, I'm sick of this bullshit. I'm sick of fucking busting my hump just to turn a goddamn lousy dollar, right? Like, I gotta get some fucking money. <laughs> the old-fashioned way. Use your brain. So, um, well, actually, I was making money the old-fashioned way with my body. I want to start making money with my fucking brain, right? Hence, uh, continuing with my, uh, you know, podcast and stand-up comedy. But, like, Jesus Christ, I was humping these goddamn pieces of, um, hardwood flooring out of this athletic facility on Ryerson campus, like, a little over a year ago. And I passed that, that, uh, facility yesterday, right? I was like, oh, oh. Look, my back started, like, spasming. I got an icy hot patch. Icy hot patch or whatever. Icy cool hot patch. You know, like Shaq sells those things. Fuck. That was a rough day. Anyways, um, I go on Ryerson campus. And it's just a beautiful campus, man. There's like rocks and trees and parkettes. And it's a really peaceful, tranquil little uh, hideaway in the hustle and bustle of Toronto, Canada, downtown. So I ducked in there and I sat down. I was writing some jokes or working on shit, right? Felt pretty good. Felt pretty relaxed. Felt pretty channeled in my energies, right? And um, I look, I look across the across from me, not too far from me, and there's this young, uh, young duo, uh, this young black girl and this young uh, white guy, and they're actors apparently, right? I can hear them talking about this and that, and they're working on some uh, scenes, right? And, you know, um, it felt kind of good, right? Because, like, at first I was insulting them, right? I'm like, oh, these hack actors, look at them, you know? Frizzy-haired weirdo, right? This white guy, this curly-haired weirdo-looking white guy. And he's trying to be impressive to the girl, I can totally tell. You know, he's doing that actor thing when he's trying to be dominant. And he's being all very smug and um, obtuse with his, like philosophizing and talking about acting and the breath of being an actor it's just like dude acting is not impressive unless it's in real time it's just one of those it's just one of those um unless you're one of those like soppy fucking um cuckolded poetic types that can like cry at the drop of a sonnet you know like those type of actors that can like expew um, all sorts of poetry and uh, philosophy and blah 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 and I'm an actor down to the very core and the essence of my being and I portray it in every aspect of my life and I live and breathe and die by the theater like unless you're one of those type of actors like it's really only impressive in real time so like you know you just look like a dork otherwise right you're like practicing your lines and miming out shit and I don't know but like a part of me was really also like um happy happy to see some people that are really passionate about performing and they're out there in the sunshine just practicing and doing you know and it brought me back to some really earlier times in my career right because like it's 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 actually very um it takes a lot of guts to go out and rehearse in public i've had to do that before like you got to go out and do things in public right so it's not really quite a show and you're you're kind of opening yourself up to the spectacle 
and you're kind of opening yourself up to criticism. But hey, you know, it's also the idea of, man, you got to go out there and be in the world. You got to go out there and be in the world. You got to be confident in what you do and why hide it? Why be shameful about it? You know, it's a beautiful day. Why not do rehearsal outside? They weren't bothering anybody. They weren't being loud and obnoxious or anything like that. I just noticed because I know, you know, as a performer, I can tell what's going on, right? Like, uh, not in terms of critiquing them, but like I could tell, oh, they're not just having a conversation. They're rehearsing a play. Like they had like their little lines in their hands, right? So I think the average person walking by might just think they're like loud and animated people. But I'm like, oh, no, they're rehearsing. I could tell they had their scripts in hands and they're going over things and doing this and that. But it was just a nice little um, recognition of, um, I don't know, it just felt good to see some people who were passionate about things that I'm passionate about. And uh, that was cool. Then I wrote some corny jokes, right? And... uh felt good just sitting out there in the sunshine. But um, as I said, I'm a recovering alcoholic. And before going to do my little um, writing exercise yesterday, I stopped by uh, the grocery store to grab a drink, right? I wanted like uh, some kind of cool beverage, right? And I saw this iced coffee, right? There was this iced coffee. And it was in like uh, one of those little stubby bottles. Like, you know, like those little stubby um, brown glass bottles they usually come packed for like um a beer right like those little stubby brown bottles they usually have beer in them right like those are how they're usually used you don't usually use those otherwise usually using the stubby you know what i'm saying right come on feel me and like but the coffee the iced coffee was like in that little stubby brown bottle and I'm like, oh, I could use a nice coffee, but I don't know if I want that stubby little beer bottle because I'm like, yo, I'm a recovering alcoholic and I just, I don't take in things like that. You know, I'm like, I don't like the looks of that. I don't like what it implies. Like, it's going to kind of bother me a little bit, right? I don't want to drink out of that bottle. But I'm like, hmm, well, I'm, a little, I'm safe in my sobriety. I'm a year and seven months sober. I never really get the craving. I put in the effort to stay sober. I go to my sobriety meetings I practice um, stress, stress management. I'm accountable for myself and my actions. So like, I don't have to fear something as stupid as drinking a non-alcoholic beverage out of a stubby beer bottle, right? It, but I just didn't like the novelty of it. I'm like, I don't even want to, like, I don't like, like, I don't drink anymore, right? I don't want to hold something that looks like a beer bottle. But I was like, hmm whatever, I want a nice coffee. So I bought it. And the whole time I just felt strange. I felt like I was drinking in public. It just brought back some bad memories. So I'm like, you know what? Henceforth, I'm never drinking anything out of a bottle that looks like a beer bottle. Like it's just too much of a novelty that I don't want to go down. It's a path that I don't need. Right. So, um, you know, I just kind of felt weird. You know, there's a lot of people at the park too. They're walking around, looking around and shit. And, um, you know, I just kind of felt a little awkward for them. Like, do they think I'm drinking in public or whatever? Like, you, you, your brain really goes back to that place when you, um, if, you know, uh, as part of being a recovering alcoholic is that you have to maintain it. So whenever you invite things into your life that are um, to the detriment of your sobriety, then you're tempting the gods, 
right? You're tempting ill fate. Like, why do I need the temptation of drinking out of a stubby beer bottle, even though it's a non-alcoholic beverage? Like, it's just a bad look for me. And people were wandering around, and uh, I just got these feelings of, like, wow, like, am I, like, am I, um, like, I just, you know, you get these alcoholic feelings of, like, I used to drink in public, all sorts of shit. I used to be hammered in public. You know, I get drunk and go to Wendy's. I oh, give me a cheeseburger, yeah, frosty. Yeah. You know, I get drunk and go to the grocery store. Hi, what time do you guys open till? Uh, okay. Wandering around drunk in my neighborhood. Like, I was a drunken fool a lot in public. And uh, all this from a fucking novelty beer bottle. So, um, I can't take I'm telling you, I can't take it anymore. I'm not doing that shit. So, um. That was just a little learning lesson that I took, and I'm very happy to have. Um, but um, another good thing's going on with me. Um, I, uh, I'm getting more talkative. You know? Alcoholism is what they call, or addiction in general, is uh, antisocial behavior. And what that means is, you know, you become antisocial. You're not talking to people for the sake of talking to them. You're not wanting to even be around people. You're really into your addiction. And um, my nickname growing up was Noisy. I was always a loud, bumbling, blah, 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 blah. like I always wanted to talk to people. Hey, how's it going? What's going on over here? I always, like when I was a kid, I always wanted to talk to people, see what was going on, poking my nose around. Hey, what's going on? Hey, hey. And I always wanted to go outside. I was always looking out the window. Hey, what's going on? And like, I was always very talkative and extroverted. Even though I do have intro, introverted tendencies, I'm, I'm pretty much an extrovert. I'm a good balance of extrovert, introvert. Well, in my drinking days, I became a... It was a gradual decline. I remember people were like, John, you're the best. Like, John's the life of the party. People had said that to me, literally. Like, it's always a good party when John's there. I've had people say that to me. By the end of my drinking, I wasn't even getting invited to parties. I was like that blackout, drunk, obnoxious, rude asshole at a party, right? I was yelling at people. Like, I just go into these drunken fits, right? So that's the decline that alcoholism took me. And at the end of it, I was like an antisocial person, meaning I didn't want to talk to anybody. I would just get through a day just so I can get drunk at the end of it. And um, I didn't want to be around people. I wanted to drink alone. You know, just me and my buddy Wiser, I drink alone. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to drink alone. And everything was in order to get drunk. I went to work in order to get drunk. Um... Any interaction I had with a person, I'm going to sum it up as quick as possible because I want to get drunk. You're boring me. Why are you talking to me? Enough with this conversation. Get me away from you. I want to get drunk right now. And that's how I always felt. And um, I'm really starting to come out of that because like, I was really terse and to the point with people this last uh, year and seven months of sobriety. Not that I was like rude, but like I was not very willing to open up to people like I've been meeting a lot of different people, um, different comics, different people in my sobriety meetings, different people at work as I'm a temporary laborer. And um, I'm just starting to really get back into that talkative place, which is good. You know, you got to talk. And um, 
hope I'm not boring you with that. It's like, why are you talking so much? Well, I have to talk. Um, but, uh, yeah, like it's, it's kind of strange because, like, I always kind of considered myself a people person. But, like, the last few years, I was not a people person. I didn't want to talk to anybody. And uh, I had a lot of tension and I'd feel really, like, um, anxious when people talk to me because it's like, I took a conversation as be accountable, be accountable, be accountable, be accountable. Like that's what I took a conversation as when somebody would talk to me. I'm like, I don't want to be accountable. I don't want to talk. I don't want to have an explanation for myself. Like I don't want anything other than to be intoxicated. I want to be sedated. Like that's all I wanted, right? And now you can't shut me up. <laughs> Podcasting, blathering about my feelings, cracking Foxy on stage, you know, really getting back into myself, you know. So I'm um, feeling pretty good and fortunate about that. Um, what else can I tell you before I get out of here? Oh, yeah. So um, like I said, I'm a temporary laborer. And um, check this out. This was a scam. <laughs> So, um, like, I work all these wacky jobs. I do, I unload grocery, sorry, I unload furniture trucks. I sweep, I mop, I dust. I was dusting last week. They actually got me dusting. <laughs> uh, I do all sorts of wacky shit as a temporary laborer just to make money. And it's great because it keeps me humble is what I need. And it keeps me contented. I get a paycheck. I pay my bills. And um, it keeps me... Um, free to be a performer you know i don't have to take on any really unnecessary responsibility i can focus on my performing so um check this out i work at a furniture store unloading um furniture <laughs> duh so um last friday i'm working at the furniture store and this lady comes in right and she's fucking pissed she's off the hop she's in a terrible mood right she, ah fuck how come nobody's answering their phone over here ah fuck she's all mad and shit right and um Apparently, nobody was answering the phone, but like, which is a complete lie. Like, these people are on commission. They run to the phone. When the phone rings, they run because there's dollars coming out of their pocket if they don't, right? They're on commission. So, like, the sales girl behind the counter, she goes, uh, Well, sorry, miss. I don't know. Uh, we were answering the phone. She goes, ah, ah, Fuck. Well, here, I'm here to pick up my rug. She ordered a rug, right? She ordered this, like, eight foot woolen rug. So I go and I schlep this fucking rug out of the back room and I haul it over and I give it to her. Ah, fuck. Where's my floor lamp? I ordered a floor lamp as well. And the girl goes, just a second. The, the cashier girl, she's going on the computer. She goes, um, uh, sorry, miss. There's no record of a floor lamp purchase. She goes, I, no, I, I, I ordered a lamp. I ordered a lamp. And it's like, uh, miss, we're in the age of computers. They don't lie. They dictate our future. They tell us who we are. We live in the computer realm. The computer is always right. So it's like, um, actually, no, miss, it's not in the computer. Ah, fuck, well, fuck you. You people are paying for my Uber ride. You're paying for my Uber. You're paying for this. You're paying for that. Because I definitely purchased a fucking floor lamp. And I'll have the, I'll have my revenge. And she's, like, dragging this fucking, like, eight-foot fucking woolen rug out of the fucking um, furniture store. She's screaming and cursing and cussing up a fight, right? And then she just disappears. That was a scam, man. Beautifully executed. Because she looked like a normal woman, well-to-do. And, you know, she thought her word was bottom line. She's yelling, giving orders and shit. And um, it was a 
beautiful. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen a con get run in public, but it's like, it's enthralling to see a con artist in work, right? She's a fucking con artist. It's like, no, you didn't purchase no fucking floor lamp. It would have been in the computer, right? And if she had truly purchased that lamp, she wouldn't have just like disappeared into the dear night. You know, she would have like got to the bottom of it. Like, okay, well, here's my receipt. Here's the tracking order. Here's this, here's that. Like I definitely purchased a lamp, right? But um, no, she was freaking out, cussing it up, yelling at people. You can always tell a scam when you don't trust your gut. Like if your gut's telling you something, something's wrong, listen to your gut. I was at the fucking bank like a couple years ago. And whenever you make a withdrawal from the teller, like an actual teller, whenever you make a withdrawal, they always count the money. They don't just hand you a wad of money and go, thank you, see you next time. Like, they count the money in front of you, you know, like 20, 40, 60, 80, 100. Here you go, sir. Right? So I go and I make a withdrawal, and the woman, she just hands me the money. Stern faced, just hands me the money, right? I'm like, hmm, it's kind of weird. And I leave the bank and I look down at my, uh, I'm like, that's odd. That doesn't usually happen. So I do a count, right? I count the money. <gasps> I'm $20 short. So I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, right? So. I go, like, how are you going to argue with a bank, right? Like, the bank, me versus the bank, you guys owe me money. Like, it, oh, God, like, it's David and Goliath, right? So I go back into the bank. I'm like, uh, hi, miss. Uh, sorry. Uh, turns out I think you owe me 20 bucks. Like, uh, I'm $20 short. The woman, she just gives me, like, this glare and hands me the $20. Reaches under the till, hands me the $20. Doesn't say a word. Scam. It's just so odd when you see a scam get carried out, right? It's pretty enthralling because it's like, wow, like you're really seeing like a sense of evil in action. Like you're taking advantage of people. You're lying. You're conniving. You're wormy. You're serpentine. And it's like, wow, man, like, ugh. It's always really enthralling. And, uh, you know, it just got me thinking like, the depths that people will go just to save a couple bucks, like to get a free floor lamp, to get a fucking $20 bill, like really despicable. You know what I mean? Anyway, loving the sunshine. Get out there. Be active. It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramtran reporting live for duty on this June 12th, 2018 in the year of our Lord. Hey. Hopefully there's some good resolution with these uh, aluminum tariffs and shit like that. I don't know what to say. I ain't no filibustering, pundit, politician, pedant. Get it together, for God's sakes. Nuclear disarmament. Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Send me your questions, send me your queries, send me your qualms. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Send me some ideas for segments, you know, I'm trying to shake up the podcast, keep it alive, keep it moving. Send me some ideas, maybe, you know, if I get a good one, I might try it out, you know? Who knows? You know, I'm always open to suggestion. I ain't no fucking um, ivory towered um, fucking politician. I'm willing to be flexible. So, um, anyways, till next time, God bless. Talk to you next time. Peace.